which is like we Trent, like we're in a conversation. Then it just t- kind of turns into oh yeah, like, ever like start of a scene to show that some characters are friends. You like start the scene with like one of them finishing telling the other one a joke. Yeah, yeah. For example, um, and then he said, "It looks like a puppet that Jim Henson made for Nambler." <laughs> like that yeah, yeah that kind like, of thing, like, thing. Yeah. We, yeah or when someone is like when you asked me to tell you a joke I was like I need to remember the roast jokes I told once uh, four years ago the one time I did a roast so those are the only jokes I could think of just trying to roll naturally into it and, and obviously we're in there somewhere now yeah maybe You don't understand, listeners at home, hello, hello. There are about 15 minutes of tape before this in which I keep trying to bring up conversations on things and then it will immediately turn serious or libelous. (laughs) In a way that just reflect, I think, quite poorly on our ability to control tone. Uh, uh, what, who are we, Finn? Oh, well, me. Fuck, I'm sorry. Film. Who are we, well, film? It, well, yeah, it's important because I am film sound Nicholas, as much as I try not to be. <laughs> and I am youther shite. This is our podcast. It's called Podcast. Yeah. It's a podcast that lives in your walls and shakes <laughs> things. So it's a podcast if you just listen to it through sub bass. I'll make sure to put a nifty like point one channel on this episode Correct. as it goes Fantastic. out. It will be That's what everyone wants. This is a show where we watch uh uh double bills. Yes. We watch one film and another film. Ostensibly one is good and one is poor. Uh, and, and then we discuss them and juxtapose them. That's the concept of the show. Yeah, roughly. What did we? What films did we put ourselves through this week? Well, uh, in honour of your birthday. That's right. I, it's a celebratory episode. Uh, uh, this episode is coming out on my 35th fuck <laughs> birthday. And so we are also celebrating the 35th anniversaries of two films that came out in uh, uh, in that week yeah. or possibly the week after. One is, of course, Clive Barker's Hellraiser. One of the classics of 80s horror. Yeah. That spawned an entire franchise of diminishing returns. And the other is China Girl. Which is Abel Ferrara's take on Romeo and Juliet by way of West Side Story, by way of an Abel Ferrara film. This is how Wikipedia loglines China Girl. It is a independent film neo-noir romantic thriller. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. yeah. And, and both of these are, are, are also kind of fill gaps for me because I've never, I've Hellraiser I know the imagery of, but I've never engaged in it narratively yeah. at all and uh, uh well, you, i you, should you, see you, all of abel ferrara's films yeah well you 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 are you're you're not like particularly a horror guy no i went through uh, uh it is only very recently that i've become more and more of a horror mm. guy uh because yeah for ages i was just petrified yes uh, i was like there's no because they were doing their job correctly and scaring you yeah I, and i hadn't but I, part of it, so much of it, and I believe this is true of so many people, like, why did people faint at The Exorcist? It's not because The Exorcist is that frightening. It's because the vibes are so big. Mm. And, like, 
I, I said to you after we finished watching Hellraiser, I was like, I'm kind of impressed that that film was as hardcore and for as long as it is. Because it, it, like, to logline Hellraiser aesthetically is that it has about the same amount of gore as uh, uh, your standard horror film of this scale. Sure. You know, uh, uh, five or six suits and animatronic. It is just that there's at least one of them in every scene and every bit of set dressing is either blade or meat. And it is so- Or hook. Oh, God. And, and it is so, there is no, like, we're so used to the 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 pattern of, like, extreme horror. Yeah. Being, I, uh, being like, you know, uh, the modern French extreme example, which is like the burn so slow that you don't notice mm-hmm. when things just get real fucked and they're, and they're like shock you electrically. And also the post fucking sore ones where it's like these moments of spectacle. Whereas in this, like there are moments of spectacle. A guy is torn apart by hooks. It's a uh, horrific. Uh, uh, and that is like <laughs> one of the least nice. No. And so gnarly. Anyway, um, but it is also like relentless. And that is what I thought all horror was like. Right. I thought all horror was like this at this level of gore for this long. And it was like, it was seeing Halloween for for a film course. Mm. I think it was film 101. Um, and, And realizing that it's like the scary bits. (laughs) are like 20 percent and so you can you move into them and you move out of them yeah 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 and like halloween specifically is like such a great like like it's such a great like intro to horror well because because it's so scary but shows so little right it has that opening like point of view wanna, which is like more like impressive and scary, but is it, but it's like, like gross and very off putting. But then like most of the rest of the scares are like really good blocking. Yeah. And, uh, uh what the recent like reboot trilogy got right, even as they, as those films got worse and worse, I think the first one is a strong reboot of Halloween yeah. because of it remembers the key thing that every other like, Halloween 2 on don't understand, which is that it's not about Michael suddenly appearing that's scary. Mm. It is the 10 minute scene before that where you have seen, you know, he is in the house or you just see him in the background. And and it gets the other thing right, which is people want to see podcasters die on film. (laughs) But it is like there's such a big difference between where the fuck is he Mm. to the Halloween thing, which is like. We know yeah, he's yeah. here. It's coming. There's no ambiguity. That is a great way in. And it is also like that my real core fear film memory is E.T. I have not seen E.T. all the way through because the early sequences of him doing like junior alien junior uh, alien presurrection like zooms past the camera and then he shows up and he's so horrifying that was never the part of et that scared me the part of et that scared me what was like what was like near like the end of a movie where where, where like the house has been encased in a pla- in like a plastic yeah, and bubble he's all sick yeah right? and like people are coming in in suits and there's like a big there's like a weird like plastic tunnel you have to go through like yeah. that, that that was that always like freaked me out and uh that that just reminds me of arrival especially because i haven't i haven't seen it i've seen arrival of course mm. and, and got two eyes and a heart don't i um it, it is 
But that, and then after that, when you begin to see E.T. more and more and how ugly he is, just, I, I was like seven or eight was just too frightening. And because it's sustained across two scenes, my mind was like, horror films are about looking at disgusting things. <clears throat> for two hours and that can't be fun and then getting back into horror through halloween it feels like a a nice moment uh, as i hit precisely the middle of my life gasp choke choke um i'm just very excited for, for the final completion of, of the like simpsons gag of your life where where you know it's like you as a kid watching et you know cuts to you like doing doing the like ah scream yeah, yeah. and then like years later you're now you're finally watching ET again. It gets to the part where, he, where he's watching a John Wayne movie, and it cuts to you going, "Ah, <laughs> yeah, that is." I do not like that man, John Wayne. Mm-hmm. I do think he is quite a pain. <laughs> I I'm see. I'm trying to synergize, make us more accessible for the brands, yeah. for the kids. Yeah, because the brands all love rhyming. So this is a poggers podcast. <laughs> nope. Nope. <laughs> You're really going to want to dab on that no, surprise, subscribe. 35 years old, button. 35 years old. No, yeah, when I'm recording this, I'm 34, free and easy. Do-do, first half of my life. Do-do-do-do-do-do. I can live forever. <laughs> uh, for anyone wondering what that sound was, you've just punched himself in the head. <laughs> I can live it doesn't matter. There are going to be no consequences. I haven't wasted my life. Your 20s are terrible, everyone. You know, and it does feel uh, uh, kind of circular and realizing the horror is not like that. Or when when horror is about sustaining fear, it, it, it will rarely do it in as brutal and a grand a guignol as this. Um, but it is. And so, and then it is nice to finally have a film that is like, this is what I thought horror films when I was six and looking at the, the first time I saw Pinhead on the mm. cover of a film. And I was like, I can never watch that. Yeah. I can't watch something with that in it. I lose my mind. I was the same about Robocop for ages. The reason I'm late to Robocop. You, you just hate practical film effects. All the hard work that goes into making someone's face look uh, uh, horrifying and distorted. I prefer impractical effects in my films because I, uh, um, people make and watch films for so many different reasons, mm. but I'm still one who wants to be kind of stimulated and excited by them. And if I'm seeing things that are routine, practical, that's boring. If I see uh, things breaking, things being impractical, it's a lot more exciting for me. And I think the audience agrees. I'm pausing for you guys to cheer. Oh, yes. no. The- <laughs> They're billing. No. Youfer, told you no. tomatoes. Don't oh, no. no, I'm peeing my pants. You, 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 ah. Use your famous capoeira skills to dodge the tomatoes. You know I did capoeira for like a year really? and a half after school. Yeah, oh. when I was like 10 or 11. <laughs> oh my at, God. At, so, I at, have not thought about that in a decade. Before we move on, I was going to say start the episode proper. We are... <clears throat> Uh, uh, 25 minutes in. Oh, I'm going to say 10, 15. Um, <laughs> I just want to address something because this, I'm going to get this up on my birthday yeah. or else what's the fucking point? Uh, uh, we are missing a few episodes uh, in the back catalog and, and that is, uh, I'm, I'm largely in charge of post-production and I was really rushing because time things happened and then I was like, why? I, I like, I like this podcast. I know we can eventually catch up. And, but I don't want to do this in a way that makes it worse. And so that back catalogue will be filling out, I'll promise. And it, that does mean 
that our first mini series does kind of end uh, fragmented and out of order. Yeah, uh, but I feel like it is still nice to have it complete and in the past and ending as well as it can. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and so I just wanted to apologize to you and the audience for that, but uh, 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 it is for the good of the show. Do you know what I mean? For like making it better to listen to, etc. Finn's furious at me. Steaming. So oh, it was kind of hard to pick which was the shite and which was the sound mm. out of these. Well, because uh, for me, it was so clearly the pitch uh, uh, was that Hellraiser is the sound. It's so acclaimed. Yeah, it's a classic. It's one of the defining films of the genre. Yeah. And that China Girl, which is like Abel Ferrara, is uh, a director I respect the gumption of yes. and when his work hits for me it hits but a lot of the time i'm like uh, we could not you have seen enough people be drill killed yeah yeah <laughs> listen to our driller killer episode for more on me just not enjoying watching people being drill killed um or th- but thriller killer where they go see thriller films <laughs> until they die oh i thought it was maybe Killed Michael Jackson. Been reading quite a bit of the conspiracy. He's still alive stuff. Oh yeah, there's some pretty compelling stuff. But anyway, what about uh, the conspiracy? He's still black stuff. What? I don't, I don't know. I mean, he is. Yeah, sure. In heaven, <laughs> he's not in heaven. <laughs> uh, sorry. Uh, uh, it, and if you think that's blasphemous, I mean it in an atheist way. <laughs> And if you think that's me being overly religious, I'm using it as a as a metaphor. Fuck that guy for being a pedophile way, just to cover all my bases. I love yeah. to keep all the fans happy. Um, and, and uh, like the pitch of China Girl is like uh, actioned up a West Side Story without the songs, but like instead of being about like Irish kids and po- and Puerto Rican kids, it's about. It's about kids in Chinatown and kids in Little Italy. And, and as Chinatown grows, yeah. the, the film opens with a, uh, uh, oh, God. Uh, D'Onofrio's. Yeah, D'Onofrio's. I was like, it's, 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 it's a kingpin. And I was like, is it D'Onofrio or D'Angelo? <laughs> um, and it, it being replaced by a- uh, but, but by, a, by a Chinese restaurant called Canton Garden. That's right. And it, it is- like it's n- like it's so easy. I was expecting it to be George droppingly racist. Yeah, uh, I was ready for for us to have just a good time, being like, "Look, Hellraiser is gross in a way that is safe, and China Girl is gross in a way that is unsafe." You know, which is one of the great lines we try to draw here. And I just think, um. I was wrong. It's like it's not great, but it's it's no, it, like it's, it's it's it is it is it's not top tier Ferrara, but like it is yeah. really good and interesting. It, it runs in a slightly odd way, uh, uh, in that yeah, it is. Do you want to give them a pricey of the story, Finn? Sure, Romeo and Juliet, where Juliet is an immigrant from Hong Kong, and her brother is involved in. Uh, Chinese organized crime. Yeah. And uh, Romeo is telling an American kid yeah. uh, who helps his family run a pizza shop. And his older brother is involved in organized crime. Yeah. And it's it very, 
the the Italians are in fact more stereotyped generally than the 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 Chinese population of the yeah, film, right? There was a point where I turned to you for I was like, if we didn't know that this movie was directed by an Italian, this would this movie would seem just so just like strange about Italians. There, there are like so many scenes where where like where you know like the only way that that this older brother can communicate with his younger brother is by slapping him in the face and, yeah. and kissing him on the head. That's like the entirety of the interactions. The other adaptation is that there's a third lead who is you make Mercutio the third lead mm. and instead of having him die go on to become like the final boss of the film yeah. where uh, uh, and of course David Caruso a famously pale and ginger man famously pale and ginger man uh, uh, oh mate do you want to hear him sound like he thinks Italian people do <laughs> it's bizarre right yeah nothing I've seen of David Caruso's work has and, been good. Well, I, even even I can't even. It's not because sometimes when you're introduced to an uh, 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 actor doing bad acting, mm. you can see that they're a good actor not having a good time. I, I guess what I'm saying is, in terms of David Caruso, I've never seen a compelling case for him to ever be paid to perform on camera. Uh, what was that TV show he was on that, that he like really broke big on and then like left immediately? Uh, was it NYPD Blue? Yes, yeah. yes, yes, it was. I mean, he like tried to become a, a movie star off of that, and it didn't work. I mean, he like kind of like slunk back to TV. He he did a couple of runs in the uh, in like there, there's a lot of like quite respected indie films. Yeah, yeah. That he's in between those two uh, points. Uh, I understand. He was the star of one of the very very actual first like mini DV features, not oh, like okay. not the ones that studios did and were like, oh, look at us. We've done, we've done the first. And it's like, Danny Boyle, I love you, but you didn't. Um, uh, he, he's in things like that. But I assume they're bad as well. Because huh? he is, what is his, he is Mercury. Yes, he is. Who is Mercutio. And his arc differs the most, really. What? It, how does it go? Well, so th- th- this is the only adaptation of Romeo and Juliet that I've seen where uh, Mercutio uh, has an Uzi at one point and <laughs> yeah. uh, just uh, stands on a rooftop firing it into surrounding tenement buildings screaming, fuck you, I'll kill you all. Yeah, it, it, as he, as I said, he becomes the boss level at the end of the game. Um, it is, but he is supposed to be this like fizzing, violent explosion, yeah, right? Yeah. Like this uh, 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 gasping, like a man vibrating, like the fury in his body, always waiting to get out. He is someone who has like so bought into the racism that he's been brought up with and now knows no no other way to express himself than to scream racial slurs at people and try and kill them. And, and that being... David Caruso doing an Italian accent. Mm. It's just at points a very odd thing to comprehend. And especially because the like the major arc of the film is kind of sketched by when you first uh when you meet the 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 Chinese villains, mm. uh it's very much two guys who are going around being dicks and racists. And everyone else in the community is being like, or you could chill out. Yeah. Like there are neighbors 
no, they're not coming for us. And, and as that person uh, uh, becomes more and more proved right, they do kind of. It, it's the same as my issue with Spielberg's West Side Story, and the the non-white cast are the uh, uh, are the uh, the side that becomes more villainous towards the end as a whole. There's like one main Chinese character who sort of becomes to be like ultimate villain of the movie. Uh, I do think it becomes. I don't think it's a massive problem. It does end up... The thing that I really like about this take on Romeo and Juliet mm. is, like, so often the complaint about Romeo and Juliet is, like, they're just these dumb kids, you know? And which like, is uh, the point of which, the original which is the point, play. Sure. Yeah, yeah. But, like, this movie is so explicit, like, these people are kids, right behind them are these fucking adults who are doing, like, serious shit, and, who are and, doing life or death shit, and these kids are getting caught up in it, and it's going to fuck them up, yeah. and, like, it's going to ruin their fucking lives. And, and that it is the people, the people who are the most redeemably good are people who have, it is like an Ozu film. Mm. It, it, it is, it, it is uh, or, uh, late spring, it is her learning to be, to hold both the city mm. and the rural life together, is that, like, it, it, all redemption that is sought and the characters that we are supposed to aspire to and enjoy equally honor both worlds. Mm. It's not, it, it, it's not a one side being right. Thing. Yeah. It, I'm the thing you said, which is hard to disagree with was like, man, imagine if this film where either of the leads could act. Yeah. It is. That is. It, that and like Ferrara is always pushing his budget, and so with retrospect, this looks to me like an episode of the X Files, like nineties TV. But sure, th- I mean that is just his as that's that is my interaction with the look of this film. Sure, he is clearly working on on a low budget here. His movie before this was Crime Story, which was you know I think like written by Michael Mann. And was a TV movie. Hmm. It seems like he's working on a similar, like, kind of TV movie budget here. For that, I think this looks great. It's a grimy New York movie. You know, there's, there's tons of great, like, neon reflecting off of, like, puddles in, on, on the ground at night sort of stuff. Yeah, and, lots of that good shit. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's doing interesting stuff with the camera. There's a couple of good explosions. There's one Uzi. Ferrara has always been really good at working around low budgets. And I think he, he, he continues to do a really good job of that here. Part of working with a low budget is working with like unknown actors and the actor playing, playing Tony, who's the Romeo stand-in and the actress playing Ty, who is the Juliet stand-in are both first time actors. Uh, they both get an and introducing credit. And like the biggest star in this movie is James Hong. A couple of people would go on oh, to some like, sure. There's Caruso and there's uh, uh, James Russo who, who, who has gone on to be like a, like very like successful kind of like bit player and character actor. Like here's the key thing with acting would have really helped. They just don't have chemistry. Yeah. They, they just don't have chemistry. And that this was written by, uh, his usual guy, Nicholas St. John. Right. Yeah. Uh, and the script he has written understands that you want to look a little more at the organized crime stuff yeah. once you're introducing it so hard and adapting it so little and realize that the the things you can really tone down are the the Juliet side. And so even though it is called China Girl, she is not in the film much. No. She she I would call her the fourth lead. Third or fourth. Yeah. And 
uh, I think the script is aware of that and is trying to make all of her scenes punchy and memorable. And she always gets, uh, 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 but like she's always in control. Like she is very rarely damseled. Yeah. And, uh, she is proactive and uh, emotional and has her own life and always has a, gets a witty barb in. Yeah. And like if this performance was on the same level as like, Rachel Ziegler in West Side Story. Yeah. This would go up a notch. This would be like a great movie. Yeah. I, th- I think it is a good idea to have like unknowns playing Romeo and Juliet. Yes. Because it, it, do- it does feel like you want actors who, who like you don't have any kind of like preconceptions of. Yeah. That's why Romeo and Juliet was such a good pairing. I'd never thought of Romeo for the role of Romeo. Because you, because you want those two characters to feel like, like kind of pure and untainted. Like it's a play about mm. how explosive powerful wonderful and danger dangerous childhood lust is yeah and and so yeah it it is playing into that is worth doing Mm. right yeah just just wish those two main performances were good well because and and like because she has those scenes fewer scenes that they've tried to Mm. act up but she just doesn't have the power to do them it feels like she slips out of the film sure yeah and that combined with their lack of chemistry it it means that the whole thing begins to feel quite adrift so it feels like it's like a piece of soggy bread like detaching yeah yeah and so yeah, like yeah, when like, you have this you go off on a lot there's like maybe 10 minute run where you're just with mercury with mercutio and you're like is this film just like just going wherever and it feels it doesn't i don't know why what i'm supposed to take from that i guess sure. in an adaptation of romeo and juliet where, where the romance works that should be like the engine which like drives everything else yeah even when you're not with them i think like part of what ferrara is doing with this is showing like how unimportant these two are to this larger story yeah if even that would have hit harder with better performances in yeah. the leads it, it, but it's not it's not bad. No, and 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 like and like the performances aren't like aren't like ruinously bad. They're not like <laughs> they just mean it's not great. They yeah. they just mean that it's a film that is consistently fun to watch. Has a good like it feels like it has a good attitude. It's it's mm. it's it's good trash. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and like one 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 thing which I which I found really interesting is that like is is that like Ferrara has basically no interest in in the like workings of the italian gang like it, it yeah. like it, it doesn't it doesn't matter to him it, and, it like, runs on a basis of you don't need to know and uh, you understand you've seen the godfather mm. you kind of get how this yeah goes. but like there was so much attention paid to the internal politics of a chinese gang and like how that all works and they're all individuals they all have different feelings and none yeah. and it does not get to orientalist on a shit yeah. do you know what i mean it becomes or or like you know ha- have, having james hong be, be you know like a like a fu manchu heroin smuggler yeah. who, who's looking to do something to white women or whatever they're they're, they're racists on both sides yeah. basically which is i think a smart way to go mm. especially when you're painting with so broad a brush but yeah out of shite and sound I call it a marginal sound. I've, I think I'd go a bit further and just call it a full-on sound. I really love Ferrara's style. I think this is the seventh movie of his that I've seen. This like early grimy New York stuff is is so up my alley, and 
when it gets violent, it gets real violent. There's a guy who looks uh, so much like Hank Azaria, but <laughs> we uh, did. But he fucked us up the entire we, movie. We we did quite a lot of research <laughs> while watching this film. We were, we were like, look through the cast list, and we're like, okay, there's no Hank Azaria there, but like that guy. That's, that's, that's him, though. That, like, that, that is what <laughs> he, he looks like. T- there are a couple of times where you're like, no, no, it is. It's definitely not him. And, but and, it is- and, 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 and then the next scene, you're like, no, but, but okay. <laughs> well, what do I do with the last scene? Because now he's just Hank Azaria again. Anyway, we keep lists, oh, Finn, ranking everything we have watched for this here podcast. We're way out of phase, way out of time. But as it currently stands for me, uh, uh, of all the films we have watched, uh, China Girl mm. is the 176th best <laughs> after I Know Who Killed Me, but before My Stepmother is an Alien. And I think all three of those films fall into that descri- your description, right? Where it is like, it, there, there are flaws. You wish it was better, but it's not, it's not bad watching. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like I am interested in doing all of Ferraro one day, but you are deeper down the pole, uh, the shithole than me. Yeah. And so you can really see like how you see how it bubbles and you like that. Whereas I'm like, Finn, why are you down that hole? Come watch normal films. And I'm like, no, I'm, wat- I'm, I'm watching Miss 45 again. She shoots, she shoots all those guys with a 45. You fit. It's not a gun. It's a forty-five, to quote Chloe Grace Moretz. <laughs> In what? Was, Hick. Oh God! Do not watch Hick. No, don't watch Hick. Um. Now here is the thing, Finn. Yes. Uh, this film is a, at best a curate's egg, and a, and it's all about how much you like that the curate's omelette that comes out, I guess. But it's hard to see people like Capital L loving this film. In fact, I'm so sure of that. You see this fan I've got set up here? Yeah. I'll take the metal cage off it, turn it on, and stick my tongue and lips through it until they're battered black and blue. Oh, fantastic. That's, that's what I've always wanted. If you- <laughs> I know. Please stop telling me that. Um, if you could find a single five-star review of the film China Girl on pod, on on social media platform Letterboxd. Yufa, I've found a five-star review of Abel Ferrara's 1987 film China Girl, Abel Ferrara's favourite of his own films. Okay, so what, what, we, uh, what we just cut there was... So much blood. Uh, it just... I'm... Like uh, I, I, I had to get out my sewing kit and reattach Yufa's tongue. Well, I we're about to talk about Hellraiser in more depth, and like if you look at the chattering, it's called Chatterbox. Chatterbox. I mean, in so in in the first Hellraiser, he's just he's just credited as chattering Cenobite, but yeah. but but like but like okay. the, but like the fans call him Chatterbox. Yeah. So uh, I, that's how I'm talking right now. I'm Chatterboxing. Mm. Uh, it was bad stuff. We rushed my lips <laughs> in an icebox to the hospital. And once we're done, uh, I'll head over there and have him sewn back on. Mm. This is a five-star review 
by Letterbox user Kit Fox. It's fucking rad how many inexpensive to rent Able for Our Reflects there are up on iTunes. This is such a great NYC in the late 80s movie. Acting is top-notch all around, and as far as cinematic imagery goes, David Caruso running past the original Nomwa tea parlor while toting an Uzi is uh, then like free of the like uh, 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 like Italian uh, pinch finger kind of hmm, kind of thing. Chef's kiss. Yeah. yeah. The Debbie Johansson Chinatown Tonight song isn't a total banger, but the soundtrack is still very solid. Good shit. Uh, okay, I'm like, I think that person has a much happier and more simple life than I do. And I'm so jealous of them. I could I understand this person at all? And you know, there's only one way to someone's heart. Finn. Absolutely. Uh, of course, guessing what their top four films on Letterboxd are. Right. Uh, would Would you like to do that now? Oh, sure. If it, I mean, we've only done it for uh, you know, like three quarters of the episodes of this show. Okay. Uh, I- uh, okay, I will start with the one that I uh, think uh, you won't know. Oh, great. Just to really dip my nards in it. Yeah. Uh, uh, this is a film that I have not seen. Mm. Uh, okay, yeah. Uh, this, this is a film that I have not seen, uh, starring uh, Jack Nicholson and Scatman Crothers. Uh, okay. So, is it? set in summer or winter i do not know okay but it's not set in winter it 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 is not specifically set in winter as far as okay, i know so it's not the one jack nicholson scatman crothers film i know yeah it, it is not the shining okay it feels bad to say the name aloud it, okay uh oh so uh, uh, a f- second half of last century, right? Yeah. Nineties? No. Eighties? No. Seventies? Yeah. Is it Head? Correct director. It, 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 it is a Bob Raffleson film. I, okay. Uh, 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 I cannot <sighs> get genre. Uh, uh, drama. I have no idea. I'm out of leads. Okay, so it's not five easy pieces. No. It's not uh, The Postman Always Rings Twice. It is called The King of Marvin Gardens. Oh. Jack Nicholson, Bruce Dern, Alan Burstyn, Scatman Crubbers. Yeah, I've never heard of it. Nope, neither. Next, after making this movie, the uh, the director quit filmmaking for 20 years. Star Wars? No. Uh, you know, like Heaven's for- Gate? No. Oh, he quit like- as opposed to was like fired. I think it might be like a similar sort of thing to Heaven's Gate, although like less of a disaster. James is it Avatar? No. No. Avatar wasn't 20 years ago. No. Um all right. So, uh this millennium or last millennium? Last. Okay. Seventy uh, five onwards. Uh, yes. Okay. Is it good? Uh, I've not seen it. I think you, I think maybe you have, and you don't like it. Ah, uh, I think I think you might think it's boring. Uh is it Days of Heaven? It is Days of Heaven. No, that film's beautiful. Oh, okay, Go, I get it. I get the the gear stuff. 
Okay, next, uh, we've got a film that we covered on this podcast. Okay. Is it in the English language? It is. Okay. Is it live action? It is. Okay. Is it uh, in color? It is. Is it from this millennium? No. Okay. Fantastical element? Super shit? Uh, no. There's, there's, uh, there's a few fantasy sequences, but that's about it. Okay. Uh, is it set in Hollywood? No, but it's about Hollywood. Uh, what? Whatever happened to Baby Jane? No. Um, ah, I can do it. And it's in English. It is. It's American? Yes, but it's an adaptation of something English. Okay. Death at a funeral. Um, Oh, is it uh, Pennies from Heaven? It is. Yeah, there you go. And then the fourth and final film uh, 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 is directed by one person. Okay, so it's a Coen Brothers film? No. Okay. Ah, oh, all right. The Red Shoes. Yes, The yep. Red Shoes by Powell N. Pressburger. My favorite single <laughs> filmmaker. <laughs> um, I haven't seen The Red Shoes in ages. Uh, I've not seen it at all. Well, when we get round to uh, uh, Powell and Pressburger King and I, <laughs> nah. I just, you're getting so much better at looking disappointed at me. And you don't understand how much of an emotional trigger that is. So, yeah, Hellraiser. There's this family. Garrick from Star Trek Deep Space Nine and Madame Alistra from uh, uh, Doctor Who, the Knight of the Doctor, and like Doctor Who all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, they And Ashley Lawrence from the Hellraiser movies. <laughs> yeah. They, uh, they have moved back. To, to the the wives' local turf in England, kind of gem- generic UK. Yeah. Um, but to begin, at the very beginning, we know something is odd. We know that there is this box, this puzzle box, and that when things happen involving that puddle bo- puzzle box, we t- we see just the most fucked up shit. Yeah. Uh, uh, we'd see hooks and then they're, they're going into flesh and spinning and there's like just so I've never seen under so much skin and like I've peeled onions mm-hmm. it is that opening sequence kind of hangs over the film and you're like ah, oh, how slow is this build but then uh, about five minutes later a little bit of blood gets on the floor yeah of a uh, uh, of the basement and th- no, then attic attic and then what happens Finn well I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll log line what you're about to say the the fucking raddest shit <laughs> ever happens how does that appear well it's you know it's pretty standard when when you are moving a bed well oh yeah no this is definitely uh, uh, one of those things where like I'm impressed in seeing where this trope comes from yeah, exactly. but it's now so common this well, sequence well, there's barely a film without it yeah well I, not 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 just to see where a trope comes from but to see your life reflected so accurately I yeah that is this portrait of a lady on fire and of of course um. 
Dunstan checks in. I was going to go and Porco Rosso. <laughs> so usually you're moving a bed, you know, in, into, 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 your, into your disused family home and you end up scraping your hand along a nail that's sticking out of a wall. Oh, God, it sucks so much. And, of course, that's, is, that scene is intercut. With it, it is, it's a Garrick's hand that gets scratched on a nail. Yeah. And, and it, Alistra is watching this while remembering the time she had an affair with Garrick's brother. Mm. And who we saw, uh, uh, who we saw, uh, get ripped apart by hooks at the beginning of the film. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, so we are intercutting a, you know, like soft cool midnight on sky one yeah. sex scene with just this close up of this nail as a man's hand moves more and more towards it and then it just gashes it and it is this incredible symphony of like expectations and cutting and fear mm-hmm. and like by using the natural rhythms of sex to build up so many points where it feels like it's going to square brackets, six, close square brackets, climax. Uh, it, it, you, it is, oh, it's just so like, it's just, it's just like th- all the theories of film. And it's like, this is why you apply them. Cause there's so much of that shit. Mm. This is so Eisensteinian. Um, Oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Mate, so it's excellent. It is. So after he he uh, after he rips his hand open on the nail, he goes upstairs to where his wife is uh, uh, to uh, to where his wife is having uh, these erotic flashbacks. Yeah, and uh, uh, and he gets blood all over the floor of the attic, uh, the very same room where his brother was uh, ripped apart by Cenobites at the start yeah. of the film, and. Uh, yeah, so so uh, so his wife uh, 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 so his wife takes him downstairs. We're going to go to the hospital, and then we see the blood recede into the floorboard. We, we see the we see the blood like like soak into the floorboards and and like sink down through the, the like nails and stuff. Yeah, and then I, and, and, and can I just say I remember seeing this and being like, the, I love all the old tricks you can do by just reversing yeah. footage. I mean, I want to see more, but there won't be anything. Well, Yupa, then the camera yeah. begins to lower down, and the floor has been cross-sectioned, oh. and underneath the floorboards, we see, like, the, the, the we, we see the, 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 like, barest outline of, of a human heart, just, just like, just, you know, it was like, Tiny strands of like, of like fully transparent flesh, like stretched so tight you can see through it, just, just like beating weakly under the floor. And as the, and as the blood begins to seep into it, it starts to beat faster and starts to beat heavier. And we see Frank's body under the floor start to reform. Yeah. So Uh, ooze kind of spills up. And out. Yeah. So all of the big uh, makeup effects in this movie uh, were done by a guy called Bob Keane. And this sequence where we see Frank's body reform is on par with any effect sequence from a horror movie. The things I, it makes me think about are like the stomach opening in the thing, the chest burst in Alien. The wheel of transformation of the howling. 
Like, it's and, like, just incredible, yeah, right? Yeah, Bob Kuhn is clearly working on a lower budget than, like, The Thing or Alien. Yeah. Or, or pr- pr- probably about the same budget as The Howling, I, I, I would guess. Uh, yeah. It is, it, it is, in, like, it is interesting to watch this film that is, like, quite clearly made cheaply, but you can only really work that out by how really there's actually only about three sets. Yeah. And they put all their money into two special effect sequences and five incredible costume stroke puppets, you know? And in a way, but then using them so well and so much that, you you don't notice how little how well they're spreading what little they have yeah like it, it is it is it is very possible from like the amount that they're in the movie that all of the stuff with the cinebites was shot in like two days like three days i i think technically like, like, some bits of it would be really difficult but yeah yes yeah, but, but like yeah. they almost entirely appear on one set they appear at the beginning in the yeah. middle and at the end yeah and I mean, everyone knows, uh, you know what Pinhead looks like. Yes, you do. Uh, 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 you know what, what's he called? Fat guy. Uh, Butterball. Butterball looks like, you know, uh, what, uh, Cheddarbox. Cheddarbox looks like. For someone who, who makes work that's so explicit, Barker, uh, and even like his writing is so explicit, hmm. he still has this just fucking innate understanding of the reveal. It's like he's going to show you, and the best part of showing someone is the first time they see it. Yeah. And so each of these creatures gets their own moment, their own incredible sequence of shots. And it is just like, this is not damning with faint praise. But it is like just the pure, like it all just works so well. Yeah. And it, and the reason it works, it's not like when you watch an Edward Yang film and are like, uh, this is exquisite. I cannot understand how. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And, 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 uh, 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 or like you can go like, I know it's well shot, but you just don't know. But in this, it's like, oh no. It is because I know all the theories of cinema that led him to make these decisions and he did them incredibly well. And that is, I want to be clear, as big a creative achievement as Edward Yang. I prefer what Edward Yang does, but sure, you know what I yeah, like? Yeah. It is the the sense of just uh, absolute clarity and vision. The, so when you first see those Cenobites, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to see these in a million more films. Yeah. That is one of the things that I like the most about Clive Barker. Like, having only seen the first two Hellraisers and not read any, any of his books, but last night I downloaded Nightbreed and I'll watch that soon. And I'm sure that's great. Hmm. I read, uh, when I was going through a, a horror reading phase, I read a couple and yeah. What I really like about Clive Barker is you take like most filmmakers who work in like this sort of like type of horror, you know, you take David Cronenberg, you take Julia Ducournel, you take, you take like anyone who works in this, in this sort of like sex horror. Clive Barker is the only one who I think if they had access to Lamachan's box, the box that summons the Cenobites, he would open it. David Cronenberg would not. Julia Ducournel yeah. would not. As much as this is a like gross horror story about about sex demons, mm. this is like 
an explication of a worldview in, yeah. in, in some sense. Oh, no, as, as I said to you, did he adapt this from his book or into his book? And you said adapting from it. Yeah. And it is because he is so clearly unpacking something. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and even in just the sense of, you know, uh, in, 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 uh, God, Pinhead's speech, you know, uh, we are the fuck. I want to say necrophiles. The what bites? Cenobites. We are the cenobites. We take everyone to the limits of pain and the limits yeah. of pleasure. We 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 are we are explore we are explorers in the limits of experience. Angels to some, demons to others, and it, there is just the sense. I'm not accusing Clive Barker of anything sincere. I sincerely yeah, yeah, am yeah, not. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but you're like, oh no, this is something someone has fucking thought about. Yeah. He is unpacking something. A- and to go through it twice w- is almost the most horrific thing, even though making the film would have been a technical exercise. Um, but I don't know how different they are yeah. for, from each other. Uh, I presume quite yeah. because in the book the character who we call pinhead is just referred to as the hell priest and and, and is described as having a, a a like kind of high-pitched girlish voice whereas like doug bradley's performance is like is so like <sighs> angels to some yeah demons to others yeah. like fucking- and of course his best line oh no <laughs> what is the question she asks Oh, I, 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 it's I like, can't remember. Uh, uh, it's like, uh, 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 oh, uh, what's his name? What's the brother's name? The- Frank. Frank escaped you and goes like, oh, no, <laughs> no one escapes us. Uh, it is it, like, and it is like, the, I want to work out a way because it is not like this is so heterosexual in a way, but so like. The extremes of sexuality. Mm. Well, and, and like, and like, Clive, and like, Clive, and like, Clive Barker is gay, right? Like, he, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. Oh no, but as a, as, as a, but as a narrative, it, sure. it, it ends up becoming about a, a, a daughter having to turn in her uncle who is wearing the skin of her father. Sure, yeah. Like there, there is. Uh, uh, it, 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 it's not. I'm not using it as a synonym oh, no, for I, vanilla. Yeah, yeah. But it is that within that, it, it is a kind of camp. Do you know what I mm. mean? And it is like it's kind of within the phrase "grand guignol," but it's also like there's just something extra, and like the flair and the fact that it's uh, uh, got this real feeling is kind of really makes up for the fact that so. The blood is seeping out of the floor. And like, this is how the whole film is. It is, is that from now on, from the scene we're about to talk about, it's just a barrage of gross stuff till the end. Like it's a, it's a stew pot, you know? Sure. And the narrative works to connect it, but you forgive it. Because it's so clearly, the rigor is so clear everywhere else. He's only being loose with one thing. And, like, that's what puts it over China Girl for me is because, like, Ferrara is being loose with who the protagonist is while also being loose in how they're written and represented. And, you know, like, it feels, 
I'm not sure what questions I'm supposed to ask. Sure, have. yeah. But anyway, blood is oozing from the attic floor. Yes. A bone punches up through the, the like, shaking, like, rattling floorboards. And then a second bone punches up. And, and, they're, and they're, like, clearly arm bones, but there is no, there is no skin or tendons or hands. Yeah. So it, it's, it's just these, like, kind of two weird brown sticks that are, kind of, like, waving around. Yeah. And then they, like, plant themselves on the ground in this, like, growing pool of ooze. And, like, a spine seems to connect out of them. And, like, is, like, yeah, yeah, I mean, like Frank's body like slowly reforms. You see, like you see, like finger bones start to like grow out of the end of the arm bones, and then when when like all of that is done, there 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 is the arms and the hands planted on the ground. There is the legs. There is the spine, and then right at the top of the spine, there are just these two like like little worms, basically just like. Just, just like moving around, searching for searching for some for something to connect to, and then they like slam forward into the ground, in, into the pool of ooze where a brain is growing up. Yeah, it and, is. And they and they, can, they connect up like some fucking mad god shit, and 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 you see Frank's brain and and his skull kind of like finish growing, and and then Frank is back, but no longer. A human, he is just an animate skeleton. Yeah, with, 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 with meat and goo on it. And of course, the oh, it's so gross, and it is so tangible. Some of it is reverse footage, some of it is stop motion, but you buy it all, and it's this horrific act of like, ugh, and it's so good. And it just bursts this character into the world so that the moment uh, 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 Alistra finds him and he's like, it's me, your brother-in-law, I'm back. I need a body, so I'm going to start killing people. Will you be in on it? And she's like, no, then yes. And then eventually- b- b- Because Frank is so powerfully erotic yeah. that she has to she has to leave her boring husband and, for him. And, and it all ends up essentially- with uh, Frank uh, stalking, sorry, Frank uh, uh, stalking his niece, whose name I cannot remember. The Kirsty, Kirsty, uh, as a kind of final girl, yeah, who was played by Ashley Lawrence. I believe this was her first film. She was in the next two Hellraisers after this, and just sort of like has been in horror movies and low budget stuff since then. I think I think she might have maybe stopped acting now or something, but like I, I think I think she's great in this, and I think is even better in in the second Hellraiser. She is like one of my like favorite like horror final girls. Yeah, I think she's really fun in this. And, uh, and she, yeah, she kind of becomes the protagonist mm. really of the the second half of the film, and, and she makes a deal with the Cenobites uh, uh, to be free of them because she accidentally solved the box puzzle. Yeah, uh, and. Uh, uh, was, was taken out of hospital into their uh, sick demon space sex realm. Uh, and then uh, she has to draw him, draw Frank. So we get this mix, this actually interesting twist of a sequence because it is a stalker horror film. Yeah. But also we know she has an agenda as well. And it is just like just giving it a bit of complexity like that as it builds up to, as every film does, 
the main antagonist being torn apart by hooks. Standard stuff. We all know it. Every, like, you know, I get it. The Iron Man is trying to lean on tradition. So having the villain be mad out of blood that mm. comes up in an attic in a stop motion sequence. And then at the end is torn apart by hooks. Like I get it. We stick to cinema traditions. Yeah. Every other film has it, but doing it again in Iron Man two, that was lazy, right? But, well, but, but that's why we had to get Shane Black in for the third one. Cause they knew yeah. he was going to shake it up. Yeah. And so he ends with it, and then at the beginning, he starts, or mm-hmm. something, he flips it around, yeah. yeah. Um, it is... Oh, I would... I'd, I'd love to see Ben Kingsley torn apart by hooks. I don't... Here is the thing I keep trying to think. I'm like, am I going to watch more Hellraiser? And I'm like, I kind of do. But also... I mean, like, 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 did, like I, I would say... Definitely watch the second one because it, it is it is it is not just more of the same, it is it is different. Oh yeah, I, I absolutely understand. But but I now get like the pace and tone of these mm, things. Yeah. And everything I'm about to say is 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 far away from my decision as to whether it is good or not. Because this film knows what it wants to do, it's a thing worth doing and it does it well. Yes. Uh, 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 my, but my question of taste is that it is just like gross shit is great uh sticking with it for as long as this film does is still something i'm not i don't quite have the tolerance sure there were parts of this movie where you did have to like hide behind your t-shirt i wish i had do you want to see something funny wasn't there a part where you were like you're like doing that when something gross is happening Um, while you're standing by the door smoking Oh, yeah, no, I did do that. Yeah. I, I was just, I was mainly thinking about all the times I was looking at my phone to not look at the screen, uh, trying to find out yeah, and, and, if that was Hank Azaria. Yeah, and I would often notice you looking at your phone, so, and, and I knew someone gross was coming up, so I'd, I'd point at the screen saying, no, this part you have to yeah. see, this part's important. And I, I want to be clear, I thank Finn for that. I And, and it is, I just... I know it is something I want to get to, but I want to get to it on terms where I can enjoy it. And like, to be clear, I understand that the function of horror is simulating bad things to get the thrill. Yeah. I just don't get the thrill out of it in the way that I get a thrill out of, uh, I don't know, the, that creature from that Black Lagoon's hand. Or uh, John Wick uh, getting a guy, uh, getting a horse to uh, kick a guy in the face. Yeah, I that's so far away from that though. Though like it would be a funny cold open for a John Wick film if he's just killed all the Cenobites, right? It would be. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> he would absolutely would though. It's sure. But but like It would be it's, it's it sounds a bit too much like something that like that like someone would pitch on Reddit. Chuck Norris kills all the Cenobites. True. So I think this film is sound. Yeah. This is uh, the third time I've seen this movie. It's a second time this year because it played at Academy Cinemas earlier this year and I went to see it there. And man, this is, this is, I always have such a great time with this film. I really need to see the, uh, I, I, I need to see more like Clive Barker stuff and I need to read his books. But yeah, man, this, this fucking movie rocks. All the Cenobites are so cool. I'm such a fan of this movie. 
And I totally get it. And one day I hope to be too. And which is entirely, I think it is sound. Yeah. If it sounds like your kind of thing, fucking get into it. On the list of everything we've watched for this podcast, which soon Finn will rejoin me in doing. Yeah, maybe. No, it's I, I know, I know. Shut up. I have this at number 104, which puts it above Titanic, <laughs> but beneath the Transformers, the movie. <laughs> It should go above Transformers, the movie. Yeah, it probably eh? should, yeah. Okay, so it, it is at number 103 above the Transformers, the movie, and beneath Metropolis. Yeah, it's fair. Uh, yeah, it is worse than Metropolis. Two films with uh, very good special effects. But it is also like Metropolis is only that low because of how anti-Semitic it is. Yeah. Um, that's right. Anti-Semites out there. The worst punishment we currently have going for you, it, it seems. Is rating Metropolis sort of low. <laughs> no. and, and, and just to be clear, for, leave Palestine alone, you maniac. You don't. Can you really, can you just take a moment to consider the irony of what you are doing? Just anyway. So, Finn. Yeah. How likely do you think it is? So, Hellraiser. People like it. Yeah. It's pretty widely adored. Absolutely. How widely do you think? Very. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. I've caught you out. I found a half star review on social media platform Letterboxd. Oh, I can't believe it. Let me tell you, I think this review raises a valid point that we could have discussed more. Well, I guess let's hear it. This is by Jardman. Oh, yeah. The creator of Jollis and Jomet. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This is a good joke. Congratulations. Thank you. Content warning, sexual assault. Most of this film is about a woman being sexually assaulted and then being manipulated by her abuser. Awful to watch, even though some of the best... Awful to watch, even though some of the best effects and horror are in this film. It's not just fun to watch. It's just not fun to watch abuse and manipulation for an hour and a half for 10 minutes of Cenobites. It's a shame that like, I agree that there is a a, a Hellraiser falls short in, in holding the weight of the implied violence in that relationship. But sure. I don't think it is ruinously so. Yeah. But, but like, also, if, like, absolutely that's a big thing for a lot of people. If that is something that you are really uncomfortable watching, maybe don't watch a movie about sex demons. I, but there are movies about sex demons that, and I think it's a specific thing about, like, Consent, and I, th- I, I think the thing is, is that it needs to be. It is one of the bits of plot that is there to uh, l- lubricate the gears. That's why she starts working with this fleshy skeleton so quickly, yeah. right? A- and that I don't think is a great. I think it could have had a lot more impact on her character and her character's arc. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I think that 
the juxtaposing that kind of violence against the 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 Cenobites violence, you know, which one of these is truly worse, mm. etc., is interesting. They're just there there are steps that could have been taken. Well well like like part of the thing with the Cenobites is that you do have to like sort of consent to them like killing you and ripping your flesh apart. Well, by doing the puzzle. Well, well well sure, but like but you only but you only do the puzzle if you if that's what you want. Yeah. Like like we like when they show up to Kirsty, you know, because she accidentally solves a puzzle, she she is able to like talk her way out. Yeah, no, exactly. Okay. Jardman has a great top four. Okay. Uh, there's one that I'd put in a top four, but all of the rest, I'm like, that's good. One, uh, it is the beginning of a franchise that should never have been a franchise. Ooh. But ho- the f- ho- Horror? Mm, well, nah. No, okay. There's scary bits, but it's fun for the whole family. It's huge. It's a great film. Jurassic Park? That's correct. Yeah. The next three are all horror films. Okay. Uh, Evil Dead 2. No. But there is a zombie sequel. Dawn of the Dead. What's a more... If you were being really bored while titling a zombie sequel, what would you call it? Zombie 2. No. It's not Zombie 2. No. This is... Oh, if I told you who directed it, they'd give it away... Is it Return of the Living Dead? That is correct. Yeah, it is The movie. Return of the Living Dead by Dan O'Bannon. The next yeah. is uh, uh, a adaptation. I just, it is hard for me to give clues for this because of my obvious alliances to. Hmm. Okay, so this film. Yeah. It looks great. Okay. It has an all-time score. Right. There are some kills in it that are great. Do they cohere to a good movie? No. Suspiria 1977. Yeah. That is a waltz stinking about our bodies. Am I right, Suspiria 2018, Hive? Yeah, it's for for better Suspiria. The Suspiria Superior. We have a great fan. You've got to catch up on the catchphrases. And now the last is uh, uh, a film I genuinely consider a horror film, but very other few people do. Because it is. Dark Waters starring Mark Ruffalo. No. uh, Scariest film of the last decade. Well, yeah. Uh, that would I wouldn't disagree with that because this did not come out in the last decade. Water is an important element in it. Deep Blue Sea. No. It is, you, like, it's for kids. Jaws. Jaws isn't for kids. Well, it's for the family. Yeah, this is this is a film that, like, it's incredible, but it's a narrative for children. But it is also an existential horror film. And it's about the sea? It is the film that I think the one of the most obscene exclusions from the BFI Top 100. Is it an animated film? It is. Is it by Studio Ghibli? Yes. Okay. Now I just need to remember the upper clues. <laughs> okay. Is, is it is it Spirited Away? Yeah. Yeah. That film is horrifying. 
in a oh, brilliant sure, yeah. way and t- like unnerving. No, I, I, yeah, I, I still I still remember the, the like first time I saw that the scene where Haku was just like vomiting blood yep. out of his dragon form. Yeah, yeah, it was a scary movie, but a great great movie. And that is Jardman's top four. Well, Finn, that's one episode, and I think we covered everything. Oh, Finn, except well, just one thing. Where can people find you online? Uh, who gives a shit? <sighs> but you can follow the show on Twitter at ShiteSoundPod, or you can email us at ShiteSoundPod at gmail.com. Why not check out our website? It's at ShiteAndSound.com. If you like what I do, I'm Uthalives, U-T-H-E-R-L-I-V-E-S, on all major social media. Put bit.ly in front of Uthalives, and you'll sign up for my newsletter, which is so close to coming back soon. I promise. I just want it to be good. I'm just learning to be okay with taking time and letting things being good. And interesting them like like that newsletter and like this podcast anyway um that just go weirdly i'm just really ha- re- having to rebuild a lot of my brain and i apologize that uh your workout any god see this is what i'm like when i'm probably properly medicated and it's, it's so troubling to me the openness i feel in my heart <laughs> um I have two other podcasts. One is called The Witching Hours. It's an eerie audio anthology. And of course, the other is called The Slow Path, where me and my partner, Briar, watch Doctor Who until we die. Our theme song is The Nux by Kazam Blam. You can check them out on Bandcamp. They've brought back Bandcamp Fridays, first Friday of every month. Buy stuff from Bandcamp then, like I just did. Oh, we don't know what we're watching next week. Uh, oh, probably Star Wars and John Carter. Look forward to to that. We've already recorded that. that. We're just... Soon the podcast will be weekly. We'll be in a pattern. Mm. But I just want to ooze to that point. You know? Yeah. It's just not worth the mental health. We're changing up other bits of the format, but I still like the final catchphrase, right? Yeah. How's it go? Movies are angels to some. And demons to other. Go watch them. Yeah, no, yeah, good, good stuff. Did you take it? I tried to sign up for it, and <laughs> I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think I got into the Capoeira class. I cannot. And it's probably very lucky for me, because I would have been absolutely terrible at it. Oh, but have you seen people who are real good yeah, at it? Yeah, no, it's so cool. But in quite- like, I've, in I've, quite I've played Tekken, you know? In quite, yeah, Eddie, of course. Yeah, yeah. Eddie, uh, Eddie. Always my favourite, along with uh, the robot samurai uh, uh, skeleton guy. <laughs> Is that Yoshimitsu? Might be, yeah. Didn't love Panda? My my favorite thing to do was always to what well, what well, well, was was to play against someone who wasn't really who didn't really know that much about Tekken, and, and to get them to play Yoshimitsu as well, and then uh, and then tell them to do the combo. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 yeah, the suicide attack. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, oh god, what a good time. Um, so that's the cold open. <laughs> so we're uh, 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 welcome my, to the show. My 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 mum made me trade in my copy of Tekken Tag Team Tournament to to EB Games for store credit because she thought it was too violent. And I only got ten bucks store credit for it, and then put that towards buying a copy of Crash Twin Sanity, which is not even one of the good Crash Bandicoot games, which I don't even like anyway. Ugh. God. That was like the worst Alan Bennett monologue I've ever heard. Well, no, it was, it was, it was the start of my Elliot Roger manifesto. <laughs> <laughs> you, can't, you can't say that. <laughs> And so, 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 and